Hello and welcome to The Daily Reprieve, where we provide essays, speaker meetings, workshops, and conferences in podcast format. We are an ad-free podcast. If you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and drop a dollar or two into the virtual basket. Please consider donating monthly by clicking the Donate Monthly button. However, one-time donations are always welcome. Just click the Donate Now button. Now, without further ado, this episode of The Daily Reprieve. Thank you so much for letting me be here. I'm just really grateful to God. Um, I never really thought I would be here. Um, I grew up in a family that had alcoholism, physical abuse, covert sexual abuse. It was not a fun place early on. And early on, I did feel disconnected. I felt alone. I felt like my insides never matched what I saw on the outsides of others. Um, I did actually start masturbating and looking at pornography. And little did I realize um, it continued to try to grow, even though I'm just fighting it with self-will. I had... um, I guess they become a Christian and go to church, tried harder and harder and harder, constantly fighting it. The story I'm sharing is really more about how I work so hard in trying to get sober that I realized that that was the problem, that I didn't have too weak a will. I had too strong a will. And I didn't even know it. And I didn't know what I didn't know. And what I held on to kept me sicker and so um it what it was what i didn't know that i had to 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 move into um as i got into college and i started to want to go into a helping profession um it just grew it got worse i thought marriage would solve it it got worse um but i went to get graduate training it got worse It seemed like the more knowledge I got, and I love helping professions. The challenge is it made my addiction worse because I thought I would be able to use therapies and self-knowledge and understanding and insight, and it made it worse. Acting out, I don't want to describe too much, but I felt led today to share some of the dark stuff only in as much as to let you know how bad it was. Um, it turned into um, same-sex attraction, um, meeting people in places and doing sexual things that I really didn't want to do. Um, I, I was obsessed with phone sex. Um, it just went on and on. So <laughs> that's the dark side. And I got into the program in 1988. Um, I saw on TV, show it show, I'm dating myself, but there was a Phil Donahue show where Dr. Patrick Carnes was on there promoting his book. I read the book and I go, oh my gosh, that's me. So I went immediately to SA. There weren't many meetings at the time. There wasn't much emphasis on the steps. So I, I got a, a white book. There was this book here. But I didn't really spend much time in this book. And this book is where the answers were. I spent eight years in and out trying harder till finally 
I got to the end of myself. I just got to the end of myself in 1996. I bottomed out and was working the steps very slowly. <laughs> nine months to do step one, nine months to do step four. Don't recommend that. It was never meant to be done that way, but that's kind of how it went down. Um, but I, my sponsor said, are you working the steps? I am, you know, but it just didn't work. And I did not spend much time reading, but it dawned on me. Uh, I, I got sober, but I learned more about the, pro, the program after I got sober. I started reading this and I realized that lack of power was my dilemma. It says many of us had, this is page 45 of the AA book, book, big book. Many of us had moral and philosophical convictions galore, but we could not live up to them, even though we would have liked to. We had to have power. And um, of course, if we're speaking about a power greater than ourselves, it says we're going to be speaking about God. And it says that this is what this book is precisely about how to find a a power greater than yourself, which will solve your problem. So that's when the miracle happened in 1998. I started to get sober. And right before that, I had just given up. It's like, okay, whatever, just whatever. Um, I really honestly thought I would never get sober. And I was in so much pain. And I heard someone say that, you know, a lot of people, this is the addiction. It's like they're backing away from their addiction. And that's what I was doing without realizing it. And realized a lot of the meetings were just trying to trigger management, trying not to act out. But he says, we just got to turn our back on it and go full force towards recovery. And that's what I did. I just started to focus on the steps, do the steps in such a way where I had no particular outcome in mind. I really said, well, I feel better doing the steps whether I get sober or not is, I guess, up to God. And then I started to get sober. And that was the miracle of it. And I love pages um, 84, bottom of page 84, because it says we've ceased fighting anything or anybody, dash, even alcohol. Um, and in this case, lust. For by this time, sanity will have returned. We'll seldom be interested in liquor or lust. If tempted, we recoil from it as from a hot flame. We react sanely and normally. We will find that our new attitude towards alcohol or lust has been given us without any thought or effort on our part. It just comes. That is a miracle of it. Neither are we avoiding temptation. We're not cocky, nor are we afraid. This is how we react so long as we keep in fit spiritual condition. So then I learned all I had to do was just do the steps. That was in my power. And even then I would go so far as to say, I really don't do the steps. I experience the steps. I take a step and then God does so much more for me than I could have ever done, to myself, done for myself. So step four, I had to really look at four things. I had to look at where is Eric inflated, this inflated sense of self. So then I learned that me trying harder was me trying. And that's, it's, it's pushing God's grace away because I was relying on self without even realizing it. If I'm holding a resentment, it blocks God's grace. 
And resentment means to re-feel, sentimental. Sentiment means to feel, sentir, so to re-feel it. And so I was really a resentaholic. I was quite resentful towards myself and the world. And um, I had to not be fearful. And I learned in the AA book that fear is always going to boil down to self-reliance. That somehow this inflated Eric is, is afraid I can't handle what's ever going to happen in the, past, in the future. I learned that resentment is selfish and that I didn't get what I wanted in the past. Anger is I'm not getting what I want now. And fear is I'm afraid I'm not going to get what I want. So if I abandon myself and say goodbye to self, kind of die to myself, and really not want anything except to connect with God, then it all works out. Am I good at this? Um, yes and no. Um, I would say first yes to encourage all of you that I can live a pretty happy life um, sober um, from last and I don't even really think about it much at all. And I never thought this would happen for me. I mean, I, I, I would never want to go back ever. Thoughts that I had towards the acting out, I just have no taste for, um, by God's grace. God's grace is power. So when, I guess I can show this in the Bible, there's a Bible verse that says, God gives grace to the humble, but he's opposed to the proud. And we know the early 12-steppers put a lot of stock in this verse. And so I didn't realize that my job was to get out of the way. And that when I become the director who wants to run everything, then I'm kind of shoving God out of the situation. So um, I had to let go of resentments, had to let go of fears, had to make amends with people. A lot of my amends are um, living amends, but I pray for the people I acted out with or harmed um, daily. I have that in my little, I made a little card. I'll talk about steps 10 and 11, but yeah, morning and evening prayers, morning and evening meditation. I pray for those people I've harmed. Trying to carry the message to others helps me do amends. Um, but I can't get into this self-loathing, you know, woe is me, I'm a bad person. Yeah, that's still inflated sense of self. Okay. Um, I have to look at what my defects of character are every day. So if I were to make a little um, bar graph as to how much energy is put into things, step one, two, three, four is a little bit more, five, six, seven, eight, nine. But the biggest um, effort, if there is an effort, is steps at 11, 10 and 11. That's all I do every day is um, 10 and 11, that it continue to take personal inventory one day at a time. I ask, and it's right there, my resentments or fears or anxieties or uh, self-justification, trying to control, um, thinking I know everything, all that stuff. It's right there for me to scoop up admit I'm powerless over my defects just as I was lust. And since God saved me from lust, then why can't he help me with these defects? 
my experience is defects take time and um, they get healed over time. And it seems to be in the context of hardship. I think Dr. Bob said that humility, um, humility comes from humiliation. And so I've been humbled many times and I'm grateful for that. I've learned that pain and suffering isn't a bad thing. Um, addicts want no pain and suffering. That's why I acted out. And in a strange way, the acting out was my getting away from my own thinking, that I was a thinkaholic, that if I looked at the questions for drinking, you know, do I drink more than other people? Do I have trouble controlling my drinking? Has drinking caused emotional problems? Is my wife concerned about the level of my drinking, et cetera? Replace the word with drinking. I'm a thinker with, sorry, replace the word drinking with thinking. Am I a thinkaholic? Do I think more than other people? Have all my attempts to control my thinking failed? Am I embarrassed by the level of my thinking? Do I have trouble stopping after one thought? Do I think early in the morning? Do I think late at night? Have I tried to solve my problems with thinking? So acting out was not thinking. I would go from this thinkaholism, whether it's resentment and fear and wrapped around the axle, and I can't take it anymore, then go into this altered state, act out, feel creepy, horrible. I, then I come back and fix it with more thinking. See, today I don't need to live by life. I don't need to live like that anymore. I can um, surrender to God and spend some time asking God when I'm fearful or agitated and ask for the next right action or step. I have people I can call. Just any act of calling for me is asking for help from any of you is an act of humility because it's saying, I can't do this alone. We don't have to be alone. And um, addiction, lust addiction especially, is a very isolating disease. We feel like if I share with you my acting out or how I'm feeling, or I have all these years of sobriety, but I'm still like wrapped around the axle and resentful. The other day I was so upset, I was kind of unloading on, um, I was at a sandwich shop and saw that the tables were messy. And so I took pictures of the tables and said, hey, you know, you might want to clean this up. And going into a thing where I'm right and you're wrong to stuff, it's just that inflated sense of Eric. And so I didn't send any photos to anywhere. I called my sponsor and said, I'm in a binge of resentment. And my mother-in-law passed away last week. There were some family kerfuffles, of course, opportunities for me to work the steps. Today is the funeral. And I was kind of on a resentment binge, frightened, like I don't want to lose sobriety over this. Not that I was feeling tempted to last, but see my my um, level of comfort now is I can't be around resentment. I just don't want to be around criticalness or I don't want to live a life of fear. So thankfully, that's actually where I live. That's where I surrender. 
um, because I've had overeating, compulsive spending, compulsive work, alcohol. Um, and so, I, yeah, the, the compulsions to do those things are gone. For the most part, eating might have snuck back. But uh, where I try to live is just working pages 84 to 88 every day. And at, in the evening, asking myself, where was I selfish today? Did I hold a resentment? Was I thinking of myself the whole time? Or was I thinking of what I could do for others? Um, was I holding back something that should have been shared with another? And it says we have to be careful not to drift into morbid reflection or remorse, for that would diminish our usefulness to others. And in the morning, I try to do this at the beginning of the morning and say, God, I want you to direct all my thinking. Help me divor be divorced from self. Help me to um, be kind and patient. I list my defects of character, which I can be controlling, so I need God's grace to help me not be controlling and let go. Um, I need God's grace for me to be understanding and patient with others. I need God's grace to be able to endure whatever I have to do today. Um, I have a prayer from my faith tradition, which is so 12-step-ish. You know, it has phrases like, help me to love you, Lord, as once I love sin. So if God answers that prayer as much as I love lust, I would then love him, or at every hour of this day, reveal your will to me, you know? So I try to think hourly at times. Um, this phrase comes up a lot. You know, we are not saints, but we're willing to live along spiritual lines. We claim spiritual progress rather than perfection. Why would they even use that phrase? And I think it's because this is saintly. <laughs> to go from forgiving everybody to pray in the morning, praying at night, asking God to direct all our thinking. There is a, a certain quality that the rest of the world isn't living like this. But you see my addiction, if this was my addiction, it was there for me 24-7. That's all I thought about. I was obsessed with it. And I used it for comfort. So to get rid of an addiction, that's by trying to root it out with my own self-reliant hands, it's going to create a vortex. So when I let go, and this is another thing that came up in morning meditation, is I realized me going like this was a metaphor for holding on, grasping, I'm right, and it even makes a fist of anger. But when I let go of control, and use this as kind of a prayer kind of thing. And throughout the day, I open my hands, just let go of control, let God do whatever God wants to do. And, and this happened actually when I was getting dental work, that I found my hands holding on while they're doing dental work. And I realized, Eric, what are you holding on to? And so I let go. And then I realized it was through that experience that letting go really works. Um, I find today the more I surrender to God, like I'm really doing this, and I'm not saying this in anything of me, but I'm doing this deep surrender, like totally whatever you want to have happen, giving him more control over my life. It, I'm happy. Thank you, um, Daniel, for the time. Um, more amazing things happen. 
things I, I just like, are you kidding me? Um, things that I think the average person would say, or wow, that's cool. That's positive. That's great. A blessing. But also more tough stuff, real tough stuff. I have a family member who I dearly love, who was um, challenged by sex addiction. And I'll just put it this way, ended up with legal trouble. My heart was broken. I felt like, oh no, did I pass this on to him? So now I'm a grateful member of Essendon. Use the exact same steps to help myself and be useful to people around us. I've gone through surgeries, financial challenges, people are passing away, and I use the steps. So I feel so grateful. Um, I don't know how to describe it, but the gratefulness I feel that God rescued me. But I had to participate. I had to cooperate with him. And I had to take direction. And I had to just let go. And in fact, I'll kind of finish out with this prayer I love. It's called the set-aside prayer. And it goes something like this. And it's, it's, it was shared by a number of members in, I think, California years ago at conferences. But it goes like this. God, help me set aside everything I think I know about you. Help me set aside everything I think I know about myself. Help me set aside everything I think I know about this disease of sex addiction. Help me set aside everything I think I know about the steps. Grant that it may see you as you really are, myself as I really am. This disease as it really is and the true steps for healing. And so with that, I want to thank you all for letting me share. Wow. Thank you, Eric. Thank you, wow, Eric. incredible. Thank you, Eric. Thank you very much. Thank you, Thanks, Daniel. Thanks, Daniel, for moderation. I just said that. I didn't realize I wasn't unmuted. Thanks for reminding. Yeah, and thanks very much, Eric, for this um, amazing, great share. I could relate a lot. And um, yeah, I really enjoyed listening to you. And I have a question you shared about you also um, had trouble with compulsive eating and compulsive spending. And there was a third one I can't remember. And I was just wondering if you worked programs for every single compulsion or if they were taken away from you because you prayed for it or how you got rid of them. Yeah, thanks. Great question. Um, so as I worked, the program for me, which is just like I described 10 at 11, what will happen is I will then realize something's not right financially. And that was, I had, so I joined Debtors Anonymous. Um, or I discovered in my daily meditation, something's not right with overeating. And the reality is overeating, I probably struggled with before sex addiction. So I would then feel led by God to go to Overeaters Anonymous or go to these various meetings. And I'm not trying to be critical when I say this, but what I found is that some of the meetings don't focus on the simplicity of the steps. And so I realized after years of eight years, I got to be pretty bold and that I just got to work the steps. So what I learned is the program, when I used this book, went through alcohol, well, um, 
overeating, spending, uh, workaholism, that it worked. Um, but where the meetings came in, because I could be inundated with meetings, it helped me understand the problem. And if I didn't go to meetings, like if I didn't go to debting, I wouldn't, that is anonymous, I wouldn't have known what that problem was. So I, um, so now I find myself an Essanon because I'm learning what the problem looks like there. And I'm actually filling out a book, uh, a workbook. So, but yeah, um, I, yeah, yeah, because you could be, I could be overwhelmed with meetings. So I just go to the meetings. And I also will say this is that I try to work on the thing that could kill me the soonest. So thanks. Thank you very much. Thanks, Martina and Eric. Uh, there was a little bit of uh, conversation on chat about the Patrick Carnes book. Were you referring to Out of the Shadows? Yes, and I shared that only in as much as that was part of my story. I realize it's not conference approved, but yes, that was the Out of the Shadows, the earliest edition, and he was just bringing up the idea that sex addiction uh, was a thing because they were arguing about it. And it's like, yep, I can say that I had that. My, my jaw dropped, like, that's me. And I, I didn't know. I mean, I just, I don't know what, I, until I had, again, it ties in with the last thing. I didn't know what the problem was. Got and it. I would say this is that self is the problem for me. And that's why it says liquor is but a symptom. I say, I, I think lust is a driving force, but for me, self is my real problem. And lust is just a symptom. Thanks. Thanks for that, Eric. Uh, Jared Z, you're up next. Hi, guys. My name's uh, Jared Z, and I'm a sexaholic. Um, thank you so much for the share. I can't explain how so many of the things that you said you were able to vocalize things that I know about myself but haven't been able to say yet. And the issue that I'm having currently is that you spoke about how at the beginning you just never thought you'd recover. And then talked about, I mean, incredibly like all these things where I would love to get to. I'd love to live in those realms of the spirit. but. I am still stuck, just kind of not believing that I'm ever going to get so. Like, I know if I do it, it helps. I know this is my solution, but I am resistant and resisting doing anything that's good for myself. For And I can't figure it out. And I'm just, I don't know what to do. So what would someone like yourself tell me? Thank you. Thanks, Jared. Boy, there's like three things there. So one is um, the resistance for me is part of the disease. And I work with sponsees and they go, I don't think I want this program. And it's like, nope, that's just part of the disease. Because if, because lust feels good, but it's like, no, I wouldn't go there. Just work the steps. It's like chemotherapy. You just do the steps and eventually it goes away. Um, because figuring it out, I heard someone say, figuring it out is not one of the steps too. And that's part of the thinking. So I had to suffer enough to where I go, whatever. 
And, um, oh, I wanted to share this. So online, you can see that Bill W., when he wrote out six steps, it's on a sheet of paper. And the first one was hopeless. I thought that was quite interesting. And I thought, and then you can see that he put something about without God. And so that was the confusing thing because I could kind of believe that anybody else could get sober, but somehow I thought I just can't. And why did I believe that? Because for eight years I had tried and didn't get sober. So then you start to get demoralized and, you, and, and then when you're getting worse and worse and worse, you start to, but I would say that really important just to get with someone who understands the program, just work the steps. I'm amazed. I'm amazed at how God works in this. I just take people through the steps. I take them through quicker. I mean, I take people through steps one, two, and three, usually in the first day. Then the very next day, I will um, take them through four, no, yeah, four, five, six, seven, and eight. And that's how they kind of did it in the early days. It can be a little bit slower, but then we focus on how to do steps 10 and 11, and then we do our amends. And we know that Bill and Bob both sponsored 5,000 people each. So we know that it wasn't this long-term relationship. I mean, it could have turned into that, but chances are you got people started. And then where the real work was steps 10 and 11. So the thing is, if we get stalled on steps, see, because it says in the book, even though we had this spiritual experience referring to step three, it could have permanent little effect unless other steps were taken and action. And it, it's the things that were blocking us from God's power. So if I gently help that person get through four, five, six, seven, and then eight, because we kind of know who their people that they're going to own amends to, they start to have a spiritual experience. And then um, 10 and 11. And if and I'm not saying not do it thoroughly, but if anything's missing in steps four through seven, it'll be caught in your daily meditation. God will definitely let you know. And, and it works. And did I do things the slower way for a long time? I did. It kind of worked, but I have so much more success responses doing it this way. And then you can go back through the steps and study um, the book forever, as well as the 12 and 12 and the white book and the step into action. It all makes sense. So anyway, thanks. I'll go to the next question here. Thanks, Jared and Eric. Uh, Lee, you're up next. Hi, Eric. Uh, really enjoyed your share. I am uh, a devotee of the uh, uh, Alcoholics Anonymous big book for multiple compulsions that I have that seem to be endless. Uh, and uh, I think that grace, that uh, unearned gift, uh, is what uh, starts the whole process. But I had a, a period of time where I was dealing with a state of hopeless despair. And somehow that became surrender. Uh, how do you see the difference between hopeless despair and the action of surrender? That's uh, how did that transition take place? Yeah, 
good question. And I hope I understand that. I think I'm just getting my version of it is that despair for me today would mean giving up entirely and despairing that there is a solution. But despair a long time ago really meant no trust in myself at all. Like I despaired in myself and hopeless in myself. And that was a good lesson for me to learn. Because even today, if I have a new um, challenge, my first default on the website, on the computer screen of my life, there's these buttons. It says Eric's will, <laughs> Eric's power, Eric's direction. And then there's God's power, Eric's, or God, no, sorry, God's power, God's direction, or God's will, and then cancel, and then maybe. And then fortunately, every day, it's just how it is. I have to manually move and click God's will. And um, the dis the um, there's no little box that says check this for all future <laughs> decisions. No, and it's defaulted to Eric's will. It's just defaulted. It's just how I'm built. But now I have enough of the solution to remember just to, to switch over. And it takes me a while. I start suffering, so I don't really despair. I mean, it's yeah. Um, and I love this. I just love this. Like I mentioned, a family member who struggled. Um, it was a tough day, but I like now know what to do. I went to Essanon and this person said to me, do you think I'll get sober? And I said, absolutely. Absolutely. If I can get sober, anybody can get sober. And that's how I am. I just can't believe that this program doesn't work if you want to experience it. And sometimes we're too hard on ourselves. And that's still obsession with self. Like, um, this is outside, but there was an author, C.S. Lewis, said, true humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's just thinking about yourself less. So the obsession with self, whether it's I'm good or too bad, and you'll see that in step four in the 12 and 12, is still an obsession with self. So I just need to let go. Like, for instance, if I harm someone else and I go, oh, my gosh, I can't believe I did that. That's still an obsession with self. Of course, I should believe it. I can make mistakes. I make mistakes. Or if I go, well, I don't have any problems. It's there. That's still an obsession with self, protecting self. So I try to be vulnerable and not um, concern myself with self. It's truly like abandoning myself, leaving myself in the desert. But that's different than abandoning myself to God, where I abandon self and then God puts inside me all the power I need and all the direction I need. So um, anyway, thanks for sharing there. Thanks, Lee. Thanks, Eric. Thanks, uh, Eric. Yeah. Daniel, you're up next. Hey. Yeah, thanks so much. Uh, thanks so much for the share, Eric. I love how you, uh, you know, didn't spend that much time on the problem. That was really cool to hear. And as I share my story, I think I want to adopt that where just get some of the, a few of the highlights just to understand it's, it was bad and I needed help, but I don't need to go into specifics of it. So I appreciate that. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's pretty mind blowing to think about going through steps one through nine in two days. Uh, and could you get a little bit more specific? Like you talk to someone, they're like, I'd like you to be my sponsor. What do I do? And you go, well, let's work steps one, two, three right now. And then tomorrow we'll work four through nine. 
could you get a little bit more specific about what do you do and how you do it? Because that sounds really interesting. Yeah. So what I do is when someone calls me and says, can you help? I then share just, they probably already know my story, but they, I then say, well, this is what I do. And then I share a little bit of AA history, how I know that in the early days, they didn't really take and drag it out. A lot of my AA book is just kind of underlined. And I know that we didn't have to read every passage to get them started. So I have certain passages, that's step one, and I read those sections. And say like step one, I know that there's this question, it says that, do I fully concede that I am an alcoholic, or in this case, a sexaholic, and that my life is unmanageable? And if they shake their heads, yes, then I said, okay, great. And then we would read a little bit about the section on lack of power. That was our dilemma. And there's great sections right in there that it says we knew what to do, but we couldn't wish it away. We had to have power. So then we, they shake their head. And if they're stuck there, then we may not go on. You know, then I gently help them work through. But I don't really spend a lot of time on well, my dad was like this, my mom was like this, and therefore I project that out onto God. I mean, that's a nice exercise, but that's more treatment center-like stuff that infiltrated this room, the rooms. And then step three, I spend a lot of time on the director who wants to run the whole show. That metaphor, it says, you know, being convinced we're at step three, what did we do? And then they describe that problem. And we can be kind, considerate, patient, generous, modest, self-sacrificing, but we also can be mean, egotistical, selfish, and dishonest. So most people go, yep, that, and that's the real problem. So then um, I say doing this sooner than later is really important. So as a sponsor, it's weird, but it's actually more beneficial. So it's like, okay, I'll spend three hours the next day with them or the, as soon as we can. And what I typically never do is going to have them write it up themselves. Um, I typically would never break it up. I might break up the resentment list and the, the um, fear list separately, but we get that all out there. And we just make a list of all the people that they're mad at. And then what was it that they're mad at? And I don't, we don't get into the long winded. Well, then they did this. Yeah. That gets more of the problem, but it's kind of like an Indiana Jones movie. I just want to go get the little crystal skull. I don't need to get the darts and all this. You know, I just run in and get out. So my, my resentment and fears and sexual conduct is really just trying to grab what are Eric's defects. So then you're going to realize, wow, it's the same thing. I'm controlling. I'm too sensitive. I'm arrogant. I know everything. Great. Those are the things that I humbly ask God to remove. So then we say, are you ready to have these things removed? Yes. <laughs> Why would I do anything longer than that? So let's humbly ask God to remove these defects. And then it says right there in the book that we referred to our list and we saw that there were people we owed an amends to. So then we finished with, you know, there's probably people and we just circle those. Then um, I want them to know about steps 10 and 11. Because right at this point, they're kind of vulnerable. They have this big spiritual experience, but if it's dragged out, it, it doesn't work so well. 
So they start reading that section and then we do the amends and that could take two weeks. You know, it, it takes a week or two to get those um, things tidied up. And then um, in the early days, they would have been a recovered alcoholic at that point. And in fact, a lot of times they would have already done those steps before they even went to many meetings. And then meetings were not a group of circle of chairs. Um, that was invented in the 60s. It was more like listen to a speaker. There were more speaker meetings. Um, but then I spend time with them. Just do, The phone calls are all centered around the steps. They take what their challenge is. And I say, so, and I usually share, okay, this is what I've done. And this is my defect of character. And then we pray it away together. It, it's that simple. So. Yeah. Okay. Thanks, Daniel. And, and I Eric. took lots of notes. Thanks so much. Yeah. yeah um, real quick, Eric, I sent you a, a private message about someone asking for your contact information. You could you could take a look at that. And uh, people with fewer than 30 days are welcome to put their virtual yellow hand up as well. And Sam, you're up next. All right. Thank you. Thank you for sharing, Eric. Uh, I just wanted to express some gratitude because I'm coming to learn more and more in the program. I, I've been in the program for about two years and I've been struggling to, to get uh, long-term sobriety. I'm 20 days sober today. I'm grateful for that. I'm just focusing on the one day at a time. And I learn more and more when I talk to people who have long-term sobriety or uh, who I know have really good programs. And I'm floored by how normal <laughs> everything is kind of it's I, I think I think maybe oftentimes in my addiction I can try to look for some type of magic bullet or and then I'm going to learn this thing that's going to give me the answer to this and really it's like I actually have everything that I already need I just need to learn how to be how to increase my capacity to be more honest and how to be more willing and how to uh, have a stronger recovery that can withstand uh, the normal parts of life that everyone deals with um, and so I just wanted to uh, express Time. gratitude. Okay. Uh, express gratitude. It's, it's not really that much of a question, but uh, you, you've been sober a little bit longer than I've been alive. And that gives me a lot of hope because <laughs> I'm like, I can be patient with myself. I'll, I'll pass it that day. Thanks for sharing there. Yeah, you're welcome to comment, Eric, if you want, you know, even though it's not a question. But um, You know, I do feel like, the addict or the self or whatever the disease tries to, because I'm a recovered sexaholic, but it says, are we cured? It says, no, what we have is a daily reprieve contingent upon the maintenance of a spiritual condition. So it's kind of like, if I take the insulin, I'm fine. If I take the medicine, I'm just fine. I'm more than fine. I, I'm not saying I'm a great person. No, what I'm saying is I now have a, a solution for any problem that I face. And that's where the addiction, which was such a liability, becomes um, an asset. Um, and I will say this, at the beginning stages, we don't even know what it's like to be sober. But once you start to get layers of sobriety, then you go, oh, my gosh, I should have just recovered long ago. And that's where I want to let people know that it, it gets better with time. It gets so much better with time. And that's what I tell sponsees. It's like, no, you're going to be fine. Actually, I'll show this story because I was practically in tears. My sponsor said, well, are you working the steps? I'm working, I'm trying to work the steps, but I don't know. He says, you got to talk to this guy named Steve B. 
I didn't know Steve B from Adam. Steve then um, sent me his first step in the mail to me. He said, just for your eyes only. It's like, well, this is awfully bold. And then he meets with me. So we drive and he just listens to me. And he says, Eric, you're going to get sober. And hearing those words, I just wanted to cry. Like, how do you know? How do you know? And then it shows you I was holding on to my own ideas. He gave me a hug and says, it's going to be fine. And sure enough, it turned out that way. And a couple of years later, I was in um, a surgery situation, had to have some colon removed. I just happened to see him in a parking lot. I said, Steve, how are you doing? And he says, fine. And I said, oh, yeah, I've had this colon part removed. And he says, well, actually, I've had 20 surgeries on my colon. And it's like, what? And he says, yeah, and I'm wearing a bag. It's like, wow. So, but, but what he does for me is I just trust his judgment. You know, like he would say second step. And I said, well, I know what second step is. He says, no, second step for him in his daily program is God loves me. It's all going to work out. And that's really what it is. I have to participate in that, but it's all going to work out. Once you have that experience, I, most people, I don't think we'd ever want to return to lust because it's just not that interesting. Having long-term sobriety, I don't like that word. If I have contentment, it's not a high, but I have contentment. I don't want a high anymore. I don't want something that feels that good. I'm just not interested in it because I like my life now. So thanks for sharing there. Thanks, Sam and, and Eric. Uh, I will note that Eric has put his email on his name there. So a couple of you have asked for contact information. You can take a look at that. And Neil, you're up next. Thanks, Daniel. Thanks, Eric, very much for your message. Many memorable quotes. Uh, and I appreciate your topic of uh, by the grace of God. I've been on the journey some 25 years, um, and three weeks ago, I attempted suicide. I had relapsed in my program, which triggered uh, my mania. And a perfect storm hit, and I felt hopeless and helpless and didn't see anything changing in the future. I uh, was hospitalized. I've been out now about a week. And just wondering what advice you would have for me. Well, thanks, Neil, for sharing. Um, my first advice is I would have you give me a call. So <laughs> I want to reach out to you. Um, second of all would be, this is not meant to be in any way um, insensitive to the pain and suffering you've been through or the situation, but believe it or not, the same steps I use to get sober and stay sober is the same steps one could use for this situation. And this is what I, this is how it would work. Like when you connect with God. And God may direct you to some mental health counseling, but see, God's directing you versus self-directing. If I felt so depressed that I would, well, I do believe that um, my personal belief is that 
suicidal feelings is like the dark side. It's like the addiction. It's like a, a lower force that's trying to, it's a power greater than ourselves. So if I admit powerless over that and um, God's humility, or God, our humility will attract God's grace. And I'm glad you're here. Oh my gosh, I'm glad you're here. Um, yeah, um, I would surround yourself with other people that you know love you. Um, in dark times in my life, there's this phrase I got from an outside book, but I like the phrase, it's called spiritual imperative. And it, these are the things I know to be true, so true that, you know, and I write them down. Like God loves me. God knows everything. I don't know nothing. I thought I would never get sober, but I was wrong. <laughs> you know, um, things that I know to be true that I can hold on to. And because when you're in a dark, when any of us are in a dark space, I need something to hold on to, to, to hold on to. And that would be, um, I think God and, the steps. And I go nuts about the steps. I love talking about the steps, but the steps are just the means to an end. And uh, once you experience the, that kind of grace, and hopefully you're getting there, but I'll stay on the call and I'll give my phone number there and you can text me or call me anytime. All right. Thank you, Eric. I appreciate it. Wow, thank you, Neil, and thank you very much for being here. I'm glad you're here as well. Uh, let's see. I don't see any hands raised, but we have probably about four minutes left, uh, so probably time for maybe one more question if somebody has a question, you can go ahead and speak up. Ah, Tom F., I see your, your hand just came up. Tom, go ahead. Hey guys, Tom, the Grateful Recovering Sexaholic. I'm just hit 30 or just over 33 days now. Um, and I got a, I got a question for Eric. And this is something that originally uh, inspired me. Um, I met him at a Sarasota Essanon here in Florida, an Essanon SA retreat. Uh, Eric, how, how do you maintain the joy? How, how do you stay so joyful? Um, I In my addiction, I was always crazy i was sad i was restless irritable and discontent and 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 I, and I find that you reverberate so much joy and that's what uh drew me to reach out and connect so i'd love to hear your experience take and hope on how you maintain joy just one day at a time thanks tom um yeah that's as i was preparing i thought boy i feel like a hypocrite like i i get assaulted by these thoughts like who am i to share anything um because I have bad, I don't know if I have bad days because I, I, if I don't do my morning prayers in the morning, I may do it at noon. And then I realize I'm headed for a train wreck. So just get connected with God again. So I'd say the kind of the first thing is staying connected with God and the program. See, for me, um, sobriety is another word would be a cinnamon would be synonym would be connected. And when I lost sobriety, I would be disconnected. I'd still go to the meetings, but I felt so distant from people. And I was so distant from myself. And when I'm sober, I'm connected. 
So connected could mean to some sadness, like today I'm going to be, because I'm sharing at a funeral, my mother-in-law, who I deeply love, you know, is not with us, but I know she's in a better place. So I have both joy and sadness. So I have to feel my feelings. But I will say this, if I start to get dark or self-pity or self-resentment, and I see it as inebriating. It can take me on. And so, <laughs> believe it or not, sharing with like this and reminding myself of what God's done for me makes me joyful. Um, Mood-altering literature. <laughs> I can almost pick up anything. Um, hearing someone else's story. Um, there's some great cloud repositories of audios. I mean, today we have like, there's mediafire.com forward slash daily reprieve. You know, you can go there and just listen to people's stories. And I end up always feeling better, but I'm not happy, joy. Like this happy, joyous and free used to really bother me because I didn't feel happy, joyous and free. But um, it is when I experience the program and I don't have to be happy all the time, but I have an inward joy that it's all going to work out. And I would say this at the beginning, it's hard. It's really hard because we just don't have enough experience. But once you have enough experience of sobriety, you have a lot of history to say, God has helped me through all these things. Who am I to complain about anything? You know, so I, I mean, I lost 50 pounds. I never, ever thought I would lose weight ever. You know, so I end with, again, what do I know? I realize I only know a little, you know. Well, thank you, Tom. And thank you, Eric. That's all the time we have. And Eric, I really have to thank you for really a, a very joyful, hopeful, wonderful share that was totally rooted in, in the solution. I would like to thank you for listening to this episode of The Daily Reprieve, the best source for experience, strength, and hope for SA members. Please subscribe to this podcast to be alerted of new episodes. Please show your support by donating to The Daily Reprieve by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and choosing either monthly donations or a one-time donation by clicking Donate Now. Thank you for listening, and stay tuned for the next episode of The Daily Reprieve.